fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. And a happy Monday to you. Yes, a wild, wild past four days, huh? You had to love it. Whether your brackets are busted or you're still alive, you just got to shake your head and say, you know, this is March Madness. That's what it's all about. We should be used to it by now, right? Not your garden variety Sweet 16 coming up next weekend, but really, is it is it like this every year, pretty much? Yeah, it is. More so this year? Can make that argument. We're talking a lot about that. Transfer portal, everything else, the parody, oh yeah. 15 seed, in. 10 seed, in. 11 seed, in. Yes, plenty to do, plenty to talk about today on the show as we recap a very busy past four days, the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament, and a look ahead to the Sweet 16. Scott Spritzer will be in the house. He will join us next hour, so hang tight for that as we uh, recap what our eyes saw and what our uh, heart rate went through over the last four days at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas Hoops and Ops. Fantastic there. We'll talk about that. Matt Holt will join us this hour. We'll get his thoughts as well. Chuck Esposito will also join us over at Red Rock. And uh, Chuck will give us the vibe from the Station Casino's properties and what uh, that was like. So, yep, glad to have you with us here on this Monday. And, of course, uh, busy time, as we know, March Madness continues on. And now we are on to the Sweet 16. All right, give you a little bit of update here uh, about the rest of this week. So, we will be doing regular shows today, Tuesday, Wednesday, of course, packed with many of our college uh, basketball guests that you normally uh, hear from. So look forward to that. All right. Uh, Pete Gillen will be joining us uh, on, on Wednesday and many more to come, including Tracy Murray, who is still covering those UCLA Bruins because they're still alive, and, uh, and other members of our CBS crew. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Two to four here in studio. Thursday and Friday, I will be on the road in San Francisco at the Chase Center for the NCAA West Regions. So be there for that. C. Wynn will be filling in Thursday, Friday. Um, he will be at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. So in studio Thursday at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. Him and the G-Man will be taking care of business here. Well, Numchuck will be holding down the fort while I am in San Francisco. I will be joining those guys um, during the course of the show uh, from Thursday and Friday. So live from San Francisco. And then next week, uh, back at it again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. And then I will be taking off to go to the Final Four in New Orleans, looking ahead uh, that a week from Saturday, and then Championship Monday, um, I will be in New Orleans, but uh, we'll be broadcasting the show Monday, uh, Championship Monday, 
at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. So there you go. So Numchuck's taking his notes there, has my travel schedule, all good. And you got so many arrows and stuff on the whiteboard there. And then, you, yeah, you've got that. Oh, yeah, okay. So hopefully that cleared up for you because I know you've been asking me, what's the plan? What's the schedule? So we're sharing it uh, with a Numchuck, the G-Man, and our, and our loyal listeners here as well, too. So there you go. But looking forward to that. Um, again, going to the West Regionals. And, and how about that? Going to get a chance to uh, see possibly Coach K's final game. A lot of people thought Coach K's final game was yesterday against Sparty. And I know my man C. Wynn was a little upset about that. Where is C. Wynn? Is he still in the building? Is he still here? He's gone. He's, he's got his radio on right now. See, when you can turn around, you can, you can turn that big, that, that tractor trailer, whatever you're driving. What's that? An RV? Yeah, he's got the RV uh, rolling around there. Uh, you can bring that back and get in the studio here. We could talk about that Duke-Michigan State game because that was – a phenomenal basketball game. And I know Seawin is is a little hurt uh, about that. But yeah, Seawin will be uh, filling in on, on Thursday and Friday. I think he's already already going to the text line here already. So <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I going with this? Yeah, Coach K. So maybe seeing the end of, of, of Coach K. I'm saying not, Numchuck. I'm saying I am not seeing Coach K's last game. In this regional. Now we look at the lineup on Thursday that I'm going to see. Okay, Arkansas Gonzaga can hardly wait for that game. All right, I think you can tell on what side my money's going to be on in that game. Texas Tech and Duke, they're the wrong team favorite in this game. Texas Tech Red Raiders are a one point favorite. All right, see, so you, you got that on uh, on Thursday. So then the winners of those two games will meet on Saturday. So more than likely, it'll be Gonzaga and Duke again. Revisited. I know a lot of people are thinking Texas Tech. Slow your roll on Texas Tech. All right? And here's my philosophy or my thoughts, I should say, on the Duke Blue Devils. Getting that victory against Michigan State, if you looked at the players leading up to that game, and Mike Shashevsky, and look at them after that game, it's like, whew, like they just escaped something. And they didn't escape because the game was in Sparty's hand, and, you know, because that game was going back and forth. It was a fantastic basketball game on both sides. And Duke outlasted Michigan State. And you look at the final score and you say, ah, oh, Duke won by nine. No, no, that was a great basketball game. Two ultra-competitive teams. They really matched up pretty well against each other. But Duke, in my opinion right now, they are playing with house money. Because people thought that the Blue Devils would be gone by now. And a lot of people's brackets, that ah, Duke's going to get beat. And maybe they'll get to the Sweet 16, and then they're going to go bye-bye against Texas Tech. So Duke hasn't gotten a lot of love. And a lot of that is because of their loss at home at Cameron Indoor to Virginia and in Coach K's final game against North Carolina where they got blasted. So this team is talented, and this team can match up with anyone. And now I feel that the Duke Blue Devils are just going to play more loose and more free than we've seen the first couple games. They were tight. There's no question about it. 
And I mentioned on Friday how I heard an interview with Mike Krzyzewski before that game, and he was saying, you know, yeah, it was a lot of pressure that these kids went under and because they didn't want to let me down and, you know, all the pomp and circumstance and all the media coverage. He goes, we didn't ask for any of this, but it is what it is. And he goes, I'm glad the regular season's over, and now maybe, you know, we can just play some basketball. But when you play that first-round game and you're playing unfamiliar opponents for the most part, and you're going to neutral sites, even though they're playing in, in, in Greenville, which, you know, is, is pretty close, you know, hour and a half away from, from the Duke campus. It's different. It's lose or go home, season done if you lose. And in, in Mike Krzyzewski's case, it's career over, plain and simple. Now I think they have this underdog mentality, this underdog role, where now they're just thinking, hey, we're going to ride this thing as long as you can. If you heard Mike Krzyzewski at the press conference afterwards, that was pretty much what he was saying. He was like, wow, we got away with one here. You know, now let's let, let's move on to the next game. But the players looked, they didn't look tense, especially down the stretch of that game. They're brewing with confidence. And I think now that... They're going on the road. They're going to San Francisco. They're playing a Texas Tech team, which I think they match up extremely well against. Remember, this is not the same Texas Tech team that Chris Beard had. You have one returner, okay? McCullers. He's the only guy that returned from the 2019 Final Four team with Texas Tech. This is a team full of transfers themselves, okay? They haven't been on this big stage before, and Texas Tech played very, very tight down the stretch in their game yesterday as well, too. So, Duke opened a favorite. Everyone's betting Texas Tech. We'll see how that plays out. Looking forward to being there in San Francisco at the Chase Center for that home of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Arkansas taking on Gonzaga, Texas Tech, and Duke. We're going to be going over the entire board, the Sweet 16, with Matt Holt and Scott Spritzer uh, later on in the show. So, we'll see what happens here. All right, let's go back, though, and recap what our eyes saw on Saturday. And Sunday, you go to North Carolina and Baylor. Are you kidding me? 93-86, the final score here. But let's back this thing up. North Carolina had a 25-point lead in the second half. In the second half. 42-29 halftime. A 13-point lead by the Heels. Poured it on Baylor. This thing was done. It was over. And I guaranteed a lot of people tuned out. What did Baylor do in the second half? They put up 51 points in the second half. And they were phenomenal in the last four minutes of this game. Better in the final two minutes of this game. And it looked like they were definitely left for dead. They battled all the way back and tied this game up. North Carolina, foul trouble. You had the ejection you know, uh, with the flagrant foul from, uh, by North, on North Carolina. And when this thing went to overtime... Just had a feeling here, like, okay, now, is Baylor going to continue to ride this momentum, or is Carolina going to summon some energy back up? And they did, even though they had a couple guys foul out. And Carolina outscored Baylor 13-6 to and, and put an end to Baylor's season. Number one seed, gone. Baylor, gone. And North Carolina, as we've talked about before, <laughs> this team, if they're shooting the ball well, they could beat anybody in the country. We saw them beat Duke. 
We've seen them beat other teams during the course of, uh, of this season. And we've seen them lose to sub-500 teams during the course of the regular season. But this team has gotten better as the season has went on. Armando Baycott, phenomenal. 15 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists in that game against Baylor on Saturday. They shot 49% from the field. They were 11 for 25 from beyond the three-point arc. And they got the job done against Baylor. Baylor really struggled in this game at the free throw line. They struggled from beyond the arc. They only shot 24% from three. They were 21 for 27 at the free throw line. Yeah. And North Carolina out-rebounded Baylor 41 to 36. So their season is over. So North Carolina, are they live? They're always live. Because they've got high school All-Americans. No different than Duke. No different than Michigan. No different than anybody else. Than any big-time program. And Hubert Davis, now they're, they're, they've got that voice in their head now, too. And they've had 30-plus games with Hubert Davis's voice in their head, too. North Carolina is a very scary team. You saw what they did to Marquette? That was a mismatch. And on paper, that game was virtually a pick They blew them out. And they blew out Baylor, too. They ended up winning by seven, but they were up 25 points over the national champs. Done. Kansas, battle hard with Creighton. Give Creighton a lot of credit. Creighton, their lineup now, compared to where it was at the beginning of the year, four starters, gone. We knew Nemhart. they lost him a few weeks ago, ACL, horrible injury. And then their second leading scorer got hurt in the first round game. They played without him. They battled hard, took Kansas all the way down to the wire. One point game at the half. And Creighton loses by 7, 79 to 72. Michigan, 11 seed. They knock off Tennessee. Goodbye, Tennessee. We talked about this last week, that Tennessee had not been on this stage with these guys before. It's going to be a matter of time before this team loses. Oh, and by the way, Rick Barnes, what does he normally do at this time of year? What does he do? No matter where he's at, if he's at Texas, he's at Tennessee, he loses. Tennessee's a good team. Don't get me wrong. But Michigan is a team and a program and a fan base. They know what to do come this time. 11 seed, we said it when they got in the tournament. That's a joke. They're much higher than 11 seed. We said no doubt Michigan was going to be in this in this tournament. We go back to that you know, week, week and a half ago. Of course, going to be in the tournament. <laughs> 76-68. Michigan knocks off Tennessee as an 11 seed. Providence blasts Richmond. That Cinderella story comes to an end out of the A-10. And then UCLA-St. Mary's. St. Mary's was was a very popular pick as the number five seed. Not going to match up against UCLA. And watching UCLA on, on Thursday night, knowing that UCLA was not going to have two bad performances the way they played, barely escaping with a victory on Thursday night. St. Mary's, it was close for a half. UCLA wins by 16. And then the game that I'm watching, St. Mary's and Murray State. The 7 and the 15. St. Pete's and Murray State. And I'm saying to myself, during the course of this game, I can hardly wait to whoever advances out of this game and whoever they play. I'm all over the other side. These these two teams (laughs) were miserable in both of their contests. Even though St. Peter's knocked off Kentucky, that was phenomenal. Obviously, they look past Kentucky and they shot lights out. 
But uh, against Murray State, uh, it was a horrendous uh, three-point shooting performance by both teams. St. Peter's shot three for 13 from beyond the arc, 23%, 42% from the field, 23 of 31. They're just a horrendous shooting team, just like Murray State is, too. St. Pete's is advancing on. They're going dancing, and they'll get blasted by Purdue. So for people that are thinking, well, Purdue, they usually fall apart at this point in time. No, not going to happen. Number one seed is gone out of their region. Number two seed, gone out of their region. Purdue, it's their final four to get there. And they should. And what do they get? They get to face St. Peter's going to the Sweet 16. And I know a lot of people think, oh, great story. St. Peter's out of New Jersey. Yeah, fine. No. This is not a good basketball team. Are they one of the best 16 teams in the country? No. They're probably not one of the best 64 teams in the country. So... St. Pete's gets by Murray State in an ugly basketball game. The only basketball game probably worse than that as far as unpleasing to the eyes was the game that was going on at the exact same time. New Mexico State and Arkansas. Typical muscleman team here. Just dog and pony show, throw the ball over the yard. And when I was handicapping this game, I said, you know, Arkansas is going to out-ghetto New Mexico State. That's what they're going to do. They're both sloppy. They're both careless with the basketball. And Arkansas just has better athletes than New Mexico State. Neither one can shoot the ball well at all. How about, the, how about these stats? Let me give you some stats from this game about shooting. I'm talking about what, how horrendous these teams are from shooting the basketball. New Mexico State shot 34%. Arkansas, 28%. 14 for 51 from beyond the arc, Arkansas, 3 of 16, New Mexico State, 6 for 26. No shock, because that's what they do. These guys are beyond recognition from being good shooting teams. If you look at their, their numbers throughout the course of the year, they're 300-plus in shooting from beyond the arc. Horrendous. This game was 26-17 at the half by Arkansas. New Mexico State comes back and takes the lead. Final is 53-48. to If you had the under there, you were never sweating in this game. But ugly basketball. A lot of ugly, low-scoring games. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the depth perception, the arena is... No, no, no. That's not it at all. It's just that you've got some really bad shooter, shooting teams in, the, in this tournament. Really bad. And everyone's taking more jumpers. Everyone's taking more threes. A lot of low percentages, a lot of unders. Gonzaga-Memphis, great game on Saturday. Uh, We talked about that one. Watch out for Memphis. They can play with anybody. They had a 10-point lead on the Zags at halftime, 41-31. If you took Memphis and you found yourself getting 10 or 11, easy money, congratulations. That was definitely the play because, like I said, going back on Thursday and Friday, Gonzaga has not faced a team like this except one time this year. And that was against Duke, where Gonzaga was just undermanned. They're not nearly as physical. And they were going to be facing some huge bodies, some great athleticism in the Memphis Tigers. And it's a shame that Memphis didn't get a chance to win that game. And uh, But give Gonzaga credit because they took care of business down the stretch. 
But these two teams matched up extraordinarily well with each other. Great basketball game. 82-78 the final. Gonzaga lucky to win that game. A number one seed against a Memphis team who is much better, of course, than a number nine seed. And again, we talk about Memphis. We talk about Houston. If you don't get a chance to watch these teams during the course of the year, you're missing something because uh, the Americans not a great conference, but top-heavy, yes, they are, with Houston and Memphis. And then speaking of Houston, you saw what they did. They took care of Illinois, no problem, 68-53 on Sunday, right out of the gate. Houston, a four-and-a-half, five-point choice, depending on when you got that game, no problem covering there. And then the play of the day that I talked about uh, coming up uh, on Sunday, Villanova over Ohio State, perfect mismatch there. Villanova wins by 10, 71-61. So, yeah, that uh, – that, that money line uh, two-teamer or just a regular two-teamer with Houston and Villanova, uh, nicely done uh, there. Duke, we mentioned the victory over Michigan State. And then another upset, Iowa State against Wisconsin. This game played in Milwaukee. Badger fans were there, but you know who else was there? A lot of Cyclone fans. Yeah, they made the trip to Milwaukee. And T.J. Otzelberger from Milwaukee he had a nice little homecoming for him, and he gets the job done. The former UNLV coach put in another ugly basketball game, low-scoring game, slow-paced game, 54-49 in Wisconsin was just abysmal. Both teams abysmal shooting the basketball. Here we go. And we mentioned those other teams, those other games, about shooting how bad they were. How about Wisconsin? Two for 22 from beyond the arc. Do the math, check. What's two for 22? Yeah, you'll never get it. There you go. 9%. Oh, Otzelberger's team, 3 for 14. 21%. Abysmal. Each team shoots in the 30s. 30% for Wisconsin from the floor, 34% for the Cyclones. 53, rather, 54 to 49. Wisconsin scores 49 points. And these two teams who normally take care of the basketball, they combine for 29 turnovers. Ugly basketball. Iowa State gets a chance to move on as a number 11 seed. It's a matter of time before they go bye-bye as well, too. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) Texas Tech takes care of Notre Dame in a game that Texas Tech really had to sweat out. Irish played well. Fatigue finally caught up with the Irish, playing the double overtime game in the first four. Then they came back and played two nights earlier. Uh, Very well traveled to San Diego. Wow. Wow. 59-53 in this game. That's the style that Texas Tech plays. Texas Tech, 27%. They shoot from beyond the arc. They only connected on four three-pointers. Irish, normally a pretty good three-point shooting team, only 9 of 28 in that contest. Both teams shoot 33 and 36% from the field. Listen to this. Irish, 33%. Texas Tech, 36%. Craziness. Purdue... Texas, another good game last night. Purdue basically led wire to wire in this game. Texas took the lead late. Purdue, give this team some credit. Matt Painter's team. Matt Painter is a guy that really doesn't get a lot of credit as well, too. This guy has taken different teams into the NCAA tournament, and they're all different types of teams. Sometimes he has bigs. Sometimes he he doesn't have any bigs. He just has guards. Sometimes he has no depth. Well, this Purdue team has a little bit of everything. And now they're the number three seed, and they're the favorite to go to the Final Four. They beat Texas 81-71. And then the game of the weekend was Arizona in, in TCU. And that's a lot. That's a, that's a bold statement. After what we saw with Duke and Michigan State and what we saw with you know the Baylor 
North Carolina game. Arizona leading for the better part of this game. And TCU comes storming back. TCU has the lead in the final minute. And it's like, okay, here's another number one seed that is going to get knocked off here. TCU is phenomenal in this game. They got in some foul trouble at the end, had a couple guys foul out. And then the big shot uh, delivered by Matherin to send the game into overtime. And then Arizona wins by five in the OT, 85-80. to So like Duke, Here's what I saw with Arizona last night. This team had not been in a game like this all year. Yeah, they lost to Colorado. They, they lost to a, a, a couple teams, to UCLA, during the course of, the, of, of this season. But this game, with all the hype, back against the wall, number one seed, picked by so many people, including myself, in the brackets, they felt the pressure in this game. And they got beat up by a... I don't want to say beat up. They got... They faced a very physical team. And for the better part of the second half, TCU was the tougher team against the Arizona Wildcats. What do we know Arizona for? Do you know the top rebounding teams in the country? They were out-rebounded by TCU in this game. TCU was more physical. TCU had more second-chance buckets. TCU had more offensive rebounds than Arizona in this game. And you will rarely say that. Rarely say that when Arizona is playing. Arizona got a little sloppy in this game too, but they had their backs against the wall in the final couple minutes and into overtime, and they rose to the occasion, made some big-time shots, some big-time plays to outscore TCU 10-5 to in the OT session. But now I look at Arizona like, okay, that was good. Okay, A lot of people will say, hey, it's, it's nice for a team to get a loss in their conference tournament. Or maybe before in the last or last regular season game, it was nice to, for Arizona to, to to get this scare if you're a Wildcat fan and escape with it because now you you basically have escaped and you've you've come from the dead here. And I look for Arizona to play with maybe not be so casual as they move forward in this tournament here, but realize yes they have a target on their back here, but Arizona is talented. They've got bigs. They've got guards. Tommy Lloyd coached a pretty good game as well. And give him uh, you know, credit as well, too. So now Arizona will move on. And guess what they get for their trouble? Down in the south region, San Antonio. They get the Houston Cougars. Oh, yeah. The Houston Cougars. The number five seed. Arizona two-point favorite in this game. This is going to be something else, too. So, yeah, we'll go over all those matchups for us. But uh, those are the highlights in the recap from what we saw just in the 32-16 to 16 round on Saturday Sunday. Of course, you know, as we talked about last uh, Thursday and Friday, the Cosmopolitan, especially on Friday's show, we kind of recapped Thursday, talked a little bit of what, what happened up until showtime on Friday. Great games, great atmosphere. And speaking of the Cosmopolitan, again, great thanks to my good friends over there, uh, the hospitality, the way they take care of us, uh, hoops and hops, phenomenal, 4,000 people in attendance, uh, the three days there on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, just an electric atmosphere, great food, great drinks, um, you know, having the, the, the basketball hoop in there like they do and everything else, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and uh, lived up, obviously, to all the ex- expectations. Last year, a little scaled-down version, it was in the Chelsea, back at the Belmont Ballroom, you know, this year, and uh, it was great. So, 
our, our good partners of this show, great friends of mine, from Brian Benowitz all the way at the top to uh, the people there uh, all the way down from uh, the, the servers to the food and beverage managers and their associates, uh, the marketing department, uh, the, the ticket takers with William Hill, our other partners there, setting up all the betting booths. Um, just phenomenal job, outstanding. And if you got a chance to attend Hoops and Ops, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I had several people that came down to to visit, uh, whether from out of town or just locals. And a lot, a lot of people, it was their first time being there. And it was resounding the exact same thing. I can't believe this place. This is phenomenal. And when I say it's the best March Madness party, the best March Madness extravaganza, there's no joke about that. And so if you missed it this year, put on your calendar and be there next year for Hoops and Ops. It's, it's one of a kind. There is nothing like it. You can be in a sports book, have a good time with that, but to be in this type of atmosphere with 42 gigantic television screens, all HD, 22-foot screens, and to basically have all the food and beverage at your disposal in a, in a very comfortable surrounding with people from all across the country and people from other countries as well, too. Simply the best. Plain and simple. All right, Matt Hole is going to join us when we come back. We've got NFL news to talk about as well, too. A lot of free agent uh, stuff happening as well as trades. All happening here on this uh, marvelous Monday edition as we continue talking. March Madness, Sweet 16 style, all week long, T.C. Martin Show. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, March Madness. Oh, yeah, we hit a lot of that last segment. We'll continue on hitting with that. Scott Spicer will be in-house coming up uh, next hour. And our man... Matthew Holt joins us now, as he customarily does each and every Monday. Get a little word up in. That's right. Matt, do you got any voice left? How you doing, my friend? How was your weekend? Good. You know, look, you know, we talked about last Monday how this was going to be one of the crazier tournaments, how we didn't have the same Gonzaga-Baylor top two teams like we did last year. And what's amazing to me is yet, 70% of the people still took Arizona and Gonzaga. Luckily for them, that coin toss came up heads uh, four straight times, but it was awful close. A lot of times, Gonzaga literally was even until the top three players from Georgia State fouled out, barely got past Memphis. Arizona had to go to overtime with TCU. I mean, all of these games are essentially coin flips. I think the madness is going to get a little crazier. Fortunately for a lot of these people's brackets, only three of the top eight teams, one, one seed, two, two seeds have been eliminated, but there's been a lot of nail biters, TC, which leads me to wonder why did so many people take Arizona and Gonzaga? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that you're okay with your brackets of Arizona and Gonzaga. I mean, it makes more sense. I mean, you know, again, you know, I think you can't eliminate them. Now, betting-wise, and I made the case that, you know, you better take a good hard look at Memphis. Because when you look at a Memphis matchup, and, Matt, and I, I talked about this, when I was looking at my bracket, I actually picked Memphis to beat Gonzaga. I said, do I go out on this limb and do this? And I initially picked it, and then I went back, you know, the the, the next morning before it's time to, to finally click the submit button, and I go, you know what? 
Memphis is going to play a heck of a game here. They match up so well with Gonzaga. Gonzaga has not seen any type of, of, of height and athleticism like this except for one time earlier this year, and we saw that here at T-Mobile Arena when they played Gonzaga, or rather when they played Duke. And so I'm going, but Memphis is going to give this team fits. But I said, from a betting perspective, I'm going to be all over Memphis in this game and end up getting 11 points in this. That was a, a no-doubter. But then I went back and said, you know what? Something's going to happen probably at the end of this game where Memphis is going to turn the ball over. Gonzaga's, you know, the cream will rise to the top and they'll probably eke out a victory. So I went back on the bracket and changed it to Gonzaga. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm like you, where none of these guys are, are, are slam dunk, you know, national champions. But I really don't think we're going to see a 10 or 11 seed win a national championship either. No, but we're we're certainly we know this. We're going to see some double digit seeds in the elite eight. That is one hundred percent assured at this point. Yeah, one's guaranteed. So right now we've got we have uh, four double digit seeds in the Sweet Sixteen. So we talked about we got St. Peter's at fifteen. You've got uh, Iowa State and Miami coming in eleven and ten uh, respectively. And then there's there's Big Blue Michigan at number eleven as well too. And uh, it, yeah, you're. I mean, you're. You're right. They are here, but you know, don't we usually see one or two in recent years a, a double digit seed in the Sweet Sixteen? We've been going in this direction. Yeah, we have. I don't know that we normally see four. Right. Um, but again, I, I we always said that this tournament was closer coming in. So many of these teams are really close. We didn't have dominant teams. The transfer portal has made the entire world of college basketball closer. You don't have to build a team anymore and wait for three years for those kids to grow up together. You just go out and get seniors every year from the transfer portal. That's made college basketball as a whole a lot closer and a lot more difficult to predict. Is Some of these teams, even though they may be senior-laden, take a little bit of time to gel. Um, so I think that overall, all of the games are a lot closer. And I think, again, going into this week, other than Kansas and Purdue, who obviously have extremely favorable matchups and extremely favorable paths to the Final Four, I think the other regions are really interesting. Arizona has to get by a really stingy Houston defense, although they're down a few key players and have been for a while. And Gonzaga is going to have to go through not only a, a sneaky good Arkansas team, but the winner of Duke-Texas Tech, who, who a lot of people picked both of those teams to be a sleeper to win it all, and the winner of that game, if it's Duke, Duke's already beaten Gonzaga on a neutral this year. be really interesting to see that rematch. Yeah, well, Matt Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. Uh, speaking from a business side, Matt, uh, how, how, you know, how close were you having to watch a, a lot of these games? Was your phone ringing at all? Because as we know, there are so many conspiracy theorists out there that are saying, oh, these games are fixed. Look at these referees. They're horrible, this and that. So many of these games were, like, right on the number. We go to that Duke-Fullerton State game. I mean, that was craziness, what, how that thing unfolded. I believe it was, what, Friday night. And in the final minute where it swung four different ways and being there at the Cosmopolitan inside Hoops and Ops, you know what I'm talking about, how people were going, yeah, yeah, you know, when Fullerton, uh, you know, hit the three and then, you know, you know Duke, took, Duke took the lead then the, then the, then the follow-up, uh, you know, put back by Duke with, you know, what, four seconds to go and then, and then Fullerton comes back and hits a dunk at the end to, to have them cover. I mean, it was just craziness how many of these games landed pretty close to the number. 
Yeah, I can tell you that the game that we got the most complaints about was Baylor, North Carolina. Uh, And as we saw that 25-point lead evaporate and the fact that, you know, the the complaint was that they weren't calling any fouls against Baylor uh, while they were trapping, and they were probably very aggressively trapping. There was contact there a lot of times, which led to steals. Uh, And the number of free throws, which allowed Baylor to get back in the game with the clock stopped, which is a key for any team when you're trying to make a comeback of that magnitude, which would have been the most, you know, the largest comeback in in NCAA tournament history had they have pulled it off. Um, That's the one that we had to look at the closest. That's the one we got the most complaints about. But there were a lot of exciting games, to your point, that came right down to the end in terms of who was going to cover the spread. You got it. All right, we go back and you know we talk about the conference bids in the NCAA tournament field, and a lot of people were going, wow, the Big Ten's got you know nine in here. The Big 12's got six. SEC was six. Let's go over these, these, these uh, conferences here real quick, Matt. And so Purdue, they advance on out of the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin, bye-bye, early exit. Illinois, Bye-bye, gone. Iowa goes in the first round. Michigan State hangs around. Good account of themselves. They're gone. Uh, Ohio State wins a game, and then they go bye-bye. Michigan at the 11 seed. They hang around, of course. Rutgers gone immediately. Indiana gone. So when it's all said and done, the Big Ten went in two games. They went from nine teams to two, Purdue and Michigan. How live do you think both these teams are? Well, I think Purdue is one of the favorites to win it all. I've been on Purdue all year. I think overall this might be the most balanced uh, team in all of college basketball. I I have them in the championship in my bracket. Uh, Along with Kansas, I think those are the two best teams in college basketball. So Purdue's very legit. Michigan's tricky to figure out. And they remind me quite a bit of UCLA from last year. So UCLA last year was a preseason top 15 ranked team that kind of went through some ups and downs through a tumultuous season, yet put the pieces together in March and made it all the way to the Final Four. If you look back at the preseason rankings, Michigan was a top-five-rated team preseason, sitting around number five in the country, and yet a lot of things didn't go right for this team in the regular season, and a lot of people made a very good case that maybe Michigan shouldn't be in the NCAA tournament. But just like UCLA last year, They're playing their best basketball right now when it matters, and they have top-five talent, as shown by their preseason rating. This is a very dangerous team, and if I was the Villanova Wildcats, I would certainly be on upset alert, hoping to not be the third, number two seed, to get bounced from this tournament. Yeah, and we've seen Michigan this year go through some injuries and not a lot of returnees from their team last year. And Hunter Dickinson kind of disappeared for a lot of this year. But the guy who always stayed pretty true is Eli Brooks. And Brooks looked fantastic. And guess what? Here comes Dickinson. Ever since the uh, the NCAA tournament came around, Dickinson was like, okay, this is the same guy that we saw last year. And this team is a very dangerous team. And I thought they were very live coming into this tournament. I thought the 11 seed was a little bit of a joke. Uh, I think, you know, the Juwan Howard factor, you know, played into that as well, too. And, of course, yeah, they, they lost uh, a lot of close games, but they won some big-time games during the course uh, of this regular season as well, too. But Michigan... You know, I think I like Villanova in this game. I, I like Villanova the way they play, but both of these teams kind of play a very similar style, and this is a great matchup. 
And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Michigan pulls another upset here just because of of the style that they play. And a lot of people think, ah, oh, it's a little bit unpleasing to the eyes because they're kind of a grinded-out team. But, man, I mean, I, I really enjoy this team, and it's not a shock to me that they won their first two games in this tournament as an 11 seed. No, I'm with you. This is a very dangerous team, and uh, and I think this is going to be a really interesting game. I think if Michigan's going to win, they probably need to have the lead at the end of the game because Villanova is a very difficult team to come from, come behind from in the last three and a half or last four minutes of a basketball game because they shoot free throws so well and they shoot so many of them per game. I think coming into this Villanova shot had more free throw attempts per game than any team in the tournament and made more free throws per game than any other team in the NCAA tournament. Both of those things bode well in finishing games. You know, we saw Villanova in a tight game in their second game for a while and then easily pull away some of it at the free throw line. Michigan's going to have to keep this Villanova team off the free throw line where they score a ton of points. But if they do it, I think they have a real shot at winning this game. Yeah, I just love this Villanova team for the reasons that you just said. They are number one in the country at the free throw line. And when you're handicapping, you love that. Let's get a let's get to the bonus. Let's get to the double bonus if you got Villanova because you know they're going to be money down the stretch. This team shoots 83 percent as a team from the free throw line. Uh, just fantastic when you talk about them, and they take care of the basketball as well too. They are fifteenth. Uh, uh, the fifteenth best in in turnovers as well too. So they take care of the ball, and let's be honest, we always talk about guard play and rebounding. The two key elements: how you shoot the basketball, how you take care of the basketball, and when you got Colin Gillespie, the best point guard in this tournament, running your show, and to have uh, the ball in his hands at the end, knowing that he, he's going to end up at the line maybe a few times. Yeah, I'll take Villanova. You know, to the wheels fall off. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I think it's going to be really interesting to see a Villanova who kind of looked, they, they had a lot of preseason expectations with Gillespie coming back. They dropped a couple of games early. And even though that they ended up winning the Big East regular season, winning the Big East tournament, being the number one free throw shooting team in the country, somehow Jay Wright's team has flown under the radar. I mean, as a yeah. two seed, they were one of the least popular, least selected two seeds in the entire bracket, yet here they are, and I don't think it's a surprise to a lot of people. I know Tennessee was the team that was supposed to bust them up, and um, and I think that Tennessee could have given them problems had they faced them in this round because Tennessee defends so well without fouling that that was going to be a really interesting matchup. But now with no Tennessee in the way, I mean, we're looking at a Michigan team that I don't know that can defend the same way Tennessee can without fouling, and Arizona fouls a lot. Um, if Arizona gets by Houston somehow, and that game is basically a coin flip, one-and-a-half, two-point spread, I don't know that I think Villanova is actually a tough matchup for Arizona, and uh, I think Arizona is going to have a tough road to go. I basically think they're going to have to flip coins two more times. They're a coin flip against Houston. They're a coin flip against Villanova. And that coin can only land head so often. 
don't be surprised if someone besides the one seed comes out of that region. And I think a lot of this, too, is some East Coast bias to a certain degree, especially from people on the, on the West Coast. You know, we always hear East Coast bias that get kind of the benefit of the doubt. But for people here that don't get a chance to watch the Big East, this is why Villanova is so good. And let's throw Providence in there as well, too. They don't get a chance to watch these teams. But when you get to this stage of the year, Villanova, Jay Wright, they're used to this. They are built for this. And these teams actually beat each other up. And they might not be the, have the most gaudy records. I mean, the teams like St. John's and Marquette and, and, and teams of that nature, you know, Providence and UConn, they all have good size. They bang the heck out of each other. Some people say, well, it's kind of, you know, an ugly brand of basketball. No, Villanova is a, is a great team to watch because they run their offense so beautifully. And Jay Wright recruits guys for his system. Plain and simple. And this is a team that is dangerous come this time of year because they've been here before. Jay Wright, his teams have been here before. And give me a coach that is is bred for this, and I'll take those teams all day long. And Providence, they're, they came in as the number four seed. So of the six Big East seeds, we have two that are still alive, Villanova and Providence. And it's not shocking to me that Providence is playing this well either. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, at the end of the day, Villanova has won seven straight games and 12 of their last 13 games. And the only loss in those last 13 games, a two-point road loss at UConn. We're talking about a Villanova team that came back and beat UConn later. uh, Has two wins over Providence in that time, including going to Providence. This Villanova team is playing really good, and Jay Wright has himself a national title contender again here. And let's face it, when Jay Wright's had a really good team, they've gone on to win national titles. He knows how to coach in the big games. This team makes their free throws at the end of games. This team is very dangerous and a legit contender to come out and go to the Final Four. Matt Hull joins us uh, from U.S. Integrity talking NCAA tournament. And uh, let's, we were talking about the conferences uh, here, Matt. Uh, the Big 12, uh, Kansas still alive, Texas Tech still alive, but bye-bye Baylor, Texas, TCU gave it a great shot, and uh, Iowa State still alive. So of the six Big 12 teams that made the tournament, three are in, are in the Sweet 16 here. I mean, that's great. I mean, I think that's a great showing. If you'd have told the Big 12, hey, you'll have three teams in the Sweet 16, will you take it? I think they absolutely would. Uh, It's rare that we see conferences have more than three, maybe four teams in the Sweet 16. So an amazing job by the Big 12. I mean, Baylor getting upset probably is the one regret they have, but Iowa State has massively outperformed expectations here. I thought the Big 12 is right on on par for where we to be where we expected them to be having three teams in the sweet 16. I think the only two conferences that really underwhelmed thus far in the tournament were the mountain West again, who last time they got four teams in went Oh, and four in the first round this time. Oh, and four again, last two times, the mountain West has gotten four teams in the tournament. They are Oh, and eight in those games. That's an embarrassment. It'll probably take another decade for the committee to put four mountain West teams again, in the tournament, again, considering those stats. And then the SEC. I mean, the SEC was loaded with title contenders. Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, all three of those teams widely used on many brackets to win it. 
all three of them playing really good basketball, at least down the stretch. Auburn was number one for quite a long period of time. Kentucky was missing Ty Ty Washington for a while. It was easy to make excuses for UK and why they were going to put it all together. All three of those teams are gone. To me, TC, the SEC and the Mountain West are the two big losers so far in the NCAA tournament. I totally agree with you. And the Mountain West, we predicted it. We called it right here. Said they're not going to win a game in the tournament. It looked like, okay, maybe San Diego State might get one. Uh, but in, but uh, you know, Creighton came back in that game. But no, just dismal. And we talked about this with Curtis Terry, the former UNLV running rebel, about this on Friday at the Cosmopolitan, saying, do you think now that the committee will basically hold this over the Mountain West Conference's head? Because remember, Matt, they've been a one-bid league for, for quite some time here, and then it's like, okay, you know, four teams, uh, that's, that's stretching. I thought three teams might be stretching it, but as it turned out, I mean, none of them really belonged, and they could, none of them could win a game here. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, moving forward, the, the committee's got to look at okay no matter what the records are there's this bad history of mountain west teams in the ncaa tournament and and back to what you're talking about with the big 12 uh, i'm sorry where the sec i'm with you and then the lone standing is arkansas and they have played the most ugly basketball of the first two games especially their last contest just downright ugly and they just had themselves a decent path i can hardly wait for them to get blasted coming up this weekend they almost feel like the one team um, even though they had a good stretch during the season at one point and potentially looked like an NCAA tournament contender, they're the one team, I think, out of all the teams, maybe St. Peter's as well, where you just say, boy, I don't see how the, how they get it done here in their next matchup. They have played ugly basketball. Their best players coming off back-to-back ugly performances, and they need Note to be able to score to get that offense going. Now, granted, Arkansas has played great defense and found a way to win two games. They're going to have to find that scoring punch. I think of all the teams in the Sweet 16, the one that really needed those days off to to refine themselves was Arkansas, because if they continue to play the way they played in those first two games, I'm with you. They were going to get blown out by the Zags. All right, Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity, talking about NCAA tournament action. A couple more minutes with you here, Matt. Pac-12. We talked about them, only three teams, two of the three still alive here in UCLA and Arizona. We saw Arizona you know, get that scare last night, and I mentioned earlier, Matt, I, I thought that with Duke and, and Arizona, they kind of both breathed a sigh of relief here. And for Arizona, we really have not seen them in games like this last night. I think that was actually a good shot for them to get a little taste of that. Yes, they lost to Colorado during the course of the regular season. They lost to UCLA. But with their backs against the wall, target uh, on them right there in, in, in the square in the chest of being a number one you know, seed to overcome what they came last night in the final minutes and overtime, I think Arizona State... Uh, rather Arizona. I think Arizona, that is a nice blessing for them moving forward. Yeah, I've actually been so impressed with this Arizona team. I have to give the really smart guys credit who come out and say, look, Arizona is not as good as some people think they are because they didn't play the strength of schedule, especially in the non-conference with their big win being over Michigan. Although the Michigan win does look better now, but it didn't look great for much of the season. But this is a team that has shown time and time again Include be, including being down double digits in the second half of the Pac-12 championship game, that it can rally from behind, A, and that it can close out tight games at the end. 
And that's something you want in a championship-caliber team. They're not all going to be easy. They're not all going to be blowouts. You have to show that medal when you're down. You have to show that fortitude at the end of games to be able to close out tough games. And to Arizona's credit, I still think they're a little bit overrated, but they have shown the ability to both A, come from behind, and B, close out tight games, and that's going to serve them well in that region where they're basically going to be coin flips in the next two and throughout the rest of the tournament. All right, Matt, uh, going looking ahead here on Thursday and Friday, which game or games do you get your eyeball on? Well, I think it starts with Duke-Texas Tech not just because the winner gets the Zags in the Elite Eight. And if it's Duke, they already beat Gonzaga on a neutral court. But both of these teams are playing fantastic basketball. We have to remember that Texas Tech only had their top two scorers in the lineup together for four games, I think, during the regular season. Now with both of those guys back, Texas Tech looks like they are going to be a tough out for anybody. And, of course, Duke, not only is this a really good Duke basketball team who's going to have a top-five draft pick here in the NBA draft this year, this is Coach K's last hurrah. So there is a big story. There's so much media coverage. I predict that this game will far and away be the most wagered on game this weekend, and I, for one, can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be uh, great. I'll be able to get to see that up close uh, and personal. Looking forward to those games in San Francisco coming up this weekend. All right, my friend, great stuff as usual. Uh, We will check uh, with you next week. Keep on, keep it on, and uh, handicap some winners for us, my friend. Will do, TC. Thanks a lot, my friend. Kansas-Purdue in the final. Jayhawks cutting down the net. Take care. Oh, there he is. A little rock-hawk Jayhawk, huh? Rock-chalk Jayhawk. It's a lot of Jayhawk shirts last uh, weekend at the Cosmopolitan as well, too. A lot of obscure shirts as well, too. Saw a William & Mary shirt. I saw a guy wearing a Kansas, uh, Kentucky shirt the day after they lost. What was that all about? Come on now. You have to have a better wardrobe than that. You don't Wear a shirt like that after you got blasted by St. Pete's. Can't do it. Got to be careful what you're wearing there. All right, our next guest. He's got the Creighton Blue Jays shirt on today. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't know what he's wearing today. Scott Sprites are in the house. We'll talk NCAA tournament with him. Plus, we've got plenty of NFL news and notes to hit on as well, too. NFL free agency and also some trades coming down here. Uh, very, very busy time here in the NFL as we get ready for the draft. T.C. Martin Show here on this magnificent Monday. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. going on he's feeling it and you can see he's rising to the occasion it's the tc martin show oh, awesome, baby, the it's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor tc martin this is your captain baby hey come with me the doctor is now in Hour number two coming your way. Hour one just flew by, didn't I? Talking about NCAA tournament action, March Madness, what a weekend it was. And again, all the fun that we had at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Last weekend, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Hoops and Hops, as well as Sunday there, too. The Hoops and Hops went Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, appreciate everyone at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas for making that a fantastic experience once again. And uh, my guest uh, this hour joined me on Friday. Got to, uh, again, see it up close and personal to uh, see all the shirts, all the people. We didn't get a massage this time. We kind of missed out on that. And I, I, I'm never going to hear the end of it because we didn't get a massage on air like we uh, did in years past. Scott Spritzer in the house. We talk a little March Madness, some NFL, and a whole lot more coming your way here in hour number two. Chuck Esposito from Red Rock. He will join us at the bottom of the hour as well, too. We'll get Chuck's thoughts as uh, he endured a wild weekend over there. But uh, we love this time of year, of course. March Madness, all your coverage here with our, our CBS staff and our former players and coaches joined us this week as well, too. So, again, uh, get you updated on the schedule here. Uh, regular show Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week. I will be heading to San Francisco for the regionals on Thursday and Friday. Uh, Chris Wynn will be in for me on Thursday in studio, Friday at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, he'll be anchoring it down with our man, the G-Man, old Gilby and company. Gilby, the intern over at the Cosmopolitan. I'll return uh, back uh, for Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Cosmopolitan Friday, then Final Four time in New Orleans. So looking forward to all of that. All right, so if your brackets are don't have too many bullet holes, consider yourself lucky. Okay, this does happen at this time of year, each and every year. If you got your national champion still alive, okay, you are still alive, plain and simple. And the way I like to say, too, if you're betting these games – all right, with the point spreads and everything. And if you haven't blown through your account the first four days, <laughs> consider yourself a winner. All right? If you, if you didn't lose too much, consider yourself, whew, like Jimmy V once said, survive in advance. Scott Sprites are in the house. What's going on, my man? That's all, man. That's what it's all about, survive <laughs> in advance, you know. And, and I have three of my, t- of my final four teams left in my best bracket, my bracket with the best chance right now, TC. Uh, but the one that uh, went down to defeat were the Badgers of Wisconsin yeah. uh, that was in that bracket as a final four participant. I used them as a dark horse to come out of that region and knock off the Kansas Jayhawks. That is no more. Uh, I thought I might get a little bit lucky with – Kansas potentially being knocked out. Creighton had the basketball down by one with about a minute to go in the game. A couple of bad passes and bad plays by a fill-in point guard, if you will. Great guard, but a point guard fill-in in Trey Alexander that cost them. But uh, as far as, yeah, I mean, I, I lost with Wisconsin. I still have three or four teams left in that particular bracket that is doing the best for me. I've got Gonzaga being in Arizona in that bracket. I'm really worried about Texas Tech if they advance past Duke and take on Gonzaga. I think the Zags at this point of the season can beat Duke if that's their opponent. But uh, Texas Tech is going to be a bear. Yeah, looking forward uh, to that. I, you know, I wasn't overly impressed with the way Texas Tech played yesterday. Sure. Uh, it, the first round game, they did their thing. Mm-hmm. They took care of business. But it seemed like with a lot of these teams, they felt the pressure and they got tense. And we know Texas Tech plays with a very slow pace. But you got to remember, these, ki- these are not the same kids that were there in, in 2019. Only McCullers, only one guy is from this team. And they got a bunch of transfers just like everybody else does. But so for, and again, you know, Mark Adams is, is a good coach. And I love the adjustment that he made yesterday at the end of that game going to his zone to really throw off their opponent there as sure. well, too. But uh, a good coach, even though he's been a life, you know, lifetime assistant, just as uh, Tommy Floyd, uh, Lloyd has been uh, for Gonzaga, com- uh, uh, from Gonzaga over to Arizona. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, still, 
I think you throw out St. Pete's, you throw out, you know, maybe probably Iowa State and a couple of others, but still, it's it's still pretty much, you know, wide open at, at this point in time. But uh, you got to love it. And, and first of all, I got to love that as much trouble we have of getting you down to the Cosmopolitan or getting you in studio. We got Scott Spicer back-to-back shows, Friday to Monday. That's like you know the back end of a daily double here. You, 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 you got to love it. So I, I appreciate that, my friend, and love having you on Thursdays uh, via the phone. But it's, it's great to, that you can uh, make the time with us no, today. No, absolutely. And thanks for the patience because it's been tough getting down to either joint. And I, you know, I went down to the Cosmo the other day, and what do they do? They, they've got fire trucks and ambulances outside, the, and I can't get in the darn parking lot. And I'm thinking TC is going to think I'm sitting at home on my couch right now watching games. And I'm kidding when I say that there's no way to get in the building. We got in on time. I come here and the front door is locked at the radio station. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. how bad does he really want me on air? That's nunchuck. <laughs> that is all nunchuck right there. There it is. He likes his privacy. What can I say? I, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of seeds, you know, we've got four double digit seeds here. And, you know, the idea of anybody can win it is nice. But really, it's not true when you consider the uh, going back to the first round numbers since 1985 when the bracket was expanded to 64 teams. Little uh, fun fact here: number one, uh, one seeds 143 and one against the, the 16 seeds. Two seeds were 135 and nine against 15 seeds. But that didn't work out so well for Kentucky, did it? <laughs> against St. Pete's, you know. So uh, again, but uh, you know, number one and two, three seeds usually really dominate uh, in the first round, and that really held case. But then once you get beyond that first round, uh, th- there's no guarantees there, as we saw you know, Auburn go bye-bye. Sure. And, um, and know, they've been so, questionable. I mean, yes. you know, they can't win on the, yes. on the road. I mean, that's yeah. gone back to you know early portion of the season. Great mm-hmm. basketball on their home floor. They get away from home, and they struggled. They struggled with their shot. Yeah. They struggled right. with their focus all season long. So now maybe I'm shocked at the way they got manhandled. But I'm not so shocked at the fact that they're not going to be advancing to the Sweet 16. Or no, I had them going to the Sweet 16 to be, yeah. you know, candid. But I thought they would lose in the Sweet 16, and I just didn't trust them uh, away from home. As far as St. Pete's, I'll give you a real like when I'm handicapping these games for the upcoming week now for the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at Purdue and St. Pete's, and I see a line of 12 and a half. You know, it wasn't that long ago I, I jotted down on some notes that they were power rated 171st. About four weeks ago, St. Peter's, they were 145th in the nation on March 1st. Purdue played Yale. Yale was the 146th power rated team. Purdue was laying 16 and a half in that game. They're now 12 and a half. And I tell people to be careful about this. Maybe St. Pete's finds the sweet elixir again, like they did against Kentucky to keep this game inside the number, at least to keep it close. But you're giving away a lot of value, probably four points of value. If you back St. Pete's in this game, and you know, over the long run, you play against the value, you're going to end up with a losing bankroll. And that's one of the things that I like to point out when it comes to these games is, you know, this is a team again that at the start of this month, was 145th according to Ken Palm. Mm-hmm, right. And I was looking when I was handicapping that game, and I wanted no part of the Murray State-St. Pete's game just because how ugly that game played out. I knew it was going to be ugly because neither team shoots the ball exceptionally well. And, you know, they're, they're helter-skelter. And sure enough, I said to myself, whoever wins this game, I'm going against them. <laughs> and so then and it's Purdue, as we see. And, like, good point. You know, they, they face a team like Yale, different style. Sure. But, you know, when you're looking at power rating, that sort of thing, very, very Light similar. Value. Exactly. And I think I'm not going to have any problem laying 12, you know, with this Purdue team, especially now with, uh, you know, when you get to these games with this team's going to the Sweet 16. And this is just my thoughts here. I don't have anything to back it number wise. And maybe you do. But we see this all the time. A team's like St. Pete, the Cinderella story. 
you can get hot in having those two games in in a in a three or four day span, right? And then you've got all the momentum going. You're in that same building, that same venue, sure. and then you get four days off. And then you got to travel usually, you know, another part of the country. And then all of a sudden, you take a deep breath and usually revert back to what you were before. St. Pete's, I believe, won I think ten or eleven games in a row mm-hmm. coming into this NCAA tournament. So it's not like they're they're void of winning. I mean, we saw teams come in here on three and four game losing streaks from like the power conferences. But St. Pete's, you know, give them credit. But I just feel that they are going to revert back. Uh, to that team that we saw prior to. And when you get hot and you beat a Kentucky team, you still got that mojo rolling. And, again, they were they were lucky to have a opponent like Murray State was very similar to them. And, you know, luck of the draw, whatever you want to say it. But now, going against Purdue, Scott, this could be a 20, 30-point blowout. It yeah, could. I won't be shocked. And, and again, it's, it's lay the points or stay away from the game for no. me. By the way, I had St. Uh, Pete's and Murray under. It Congratulations. Dropped. No, 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 no. It didn't win. <laughs> Wait a minute. It, it pushed at very best at 130. Oh, it I looked like it was going to be early on, it didn't it? Right? Dead, right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. I think the teams combined for like 40 free throws in a 70 60 that's game. Right. Something crazy yeah. like well, that. I gave 40, up on the game. I couldn't throws. stand watching any more of it early second half. I said, it that's o- it. <laughs> it went over by half a point, by the way. Oh, uh, but anyway, I had St. Pete's against Kentucky, not the money line, for those of you who were yeah, wondering. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to play the money line, but I did take them plus the points. But yeah, in this particular game, I mean, one of the things that Purdue does extremely well is get to the free throw line and you saw that against Texas they had 46 free throw attempts to 12 for Texas they outscored them 33 to 7 from the stripe that's what Purdue does that's not fluky I mean maybe those numbers are a little bit fluky because you don't usually see a 26 point advantage at the stripe but that's what they've done all year they get to the free throw line and they keep their opponents off the free throw line and the bad thing for St. Pete's the scary thing in this one they have been bad all year about letting teams get to the free throw lines. In fact, uh, they send their opponents to the free throw line more than all but 10 teams in college basketball. They're like 348th in sending teams to the stripe. And that's what Purdue does best. Right. So the potential for a blowout here is quite high. Doesn't mean St. Pete's isn't going to surprise, hit a few threes more yep. than they do normally. Purdue plays badly inside. They're a little flat. I don't think they will be with Matt Painter calling the shots, having almost a week to prep for this team. And that's another thing. Kentucky should have been better prepared. They had time to prep. Uh, but their second-round opponent, Murray State, just like St. Pete's, so give Pete's credit. But Murray State only had, you know, 36 to 48 hours to prep. Now, Purdue... One of the teams that I felt before the season began were one of like seven teams that could win it all. This team's going to have, what, four days to prep for this game. That's going to be a tough a tough road to hoe for the St. Peter's yeah. Peacocks. And give them all the credit in the world, but they're outmanned, outgunned, and the metrics, like I just talked about with the free throws, totally goes against them along with the line value. It'll be fun to see what Chuck Esposito thinks about that. What would you have made this number you know, three weeks ago compared to now? Right. Of the past 21 national champions, 20 20- were won by number one, number two, number three seeds. Top three seeds have won 32 of the last 36 NCAA tournaments. So when you, you factor that in as well, too, that's why I still think, even though we've had these upsets, you still got to lock in on still these number one and two seeds. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's a, there's a, a formula that you know, knocked out Auburn the other day, by the way, but you still got Kansas in the mix, Arizona in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to winning the national title, and 18 of the last 19 teams have followed this like nine step system, and one of those happens to be they got to be a one two or three seed now it's different than ever before we're going to see it changing more and more throughout the next couple of years because we all thought that 
that that that teams like Duke, North Carolina, these teams that produce one and dones or two and dones and go off to the NBA, we're going to struggle in the big dance when all this stuff started a while back. Really didn't hurt those teams too much because the the, the guys that were one and done were loading up in certain schools, and those schools still dominated with great coaches, all that kind of stuff. But because of the transfer portal coming into the mix, now you've got a situation where combined with teams not having a lot of veterans on the team if they're the top-notch teams, what we're going to see, I think, TC moving forward maybe a year or two down the road, more double-digit seeds getting to the Sweet 16 and beyond and things like that because of those two key right. situations combined now. No doubt. Scott Spritzer uh, joins us here. All right, let's uh, roll through these games coming up on Thursday, starting in San Francisco. Uh, first tip will be at 4.09. It's Arkansas, the number four seed. Uh, really lucky to to survive here. They played two ugly basketball games and they're taking on Gonzaga, who struggled, as you mentioned, in, in both of these games uh, earlier on. Gonzaga is an eight and a half point choice. And uh, I think this is a this is a, a mismatch in the sense of the way these teams kind of match up. I think, you know, Arc uh, Gonzaga saw a Memphis team who is very physical and a little bit more polished than Arkansas. Arkansas is going to throw the ball all over the arena. They're going to be all over the place here. They shoot a very low percentage. And uh, I, I, I love Gonzaga You know, in this spot. They're laying eight and a half. But I think this Arkansas team with Musselman, I think I'm just kind of tired of watching. I saw this the same style with him in Nevada. He could get away with it in the Mountain West because he just had better athletes and better talent. He's got some very good athletes in the SEC, but this team just is uneven for me, and they really do not play well when their back is up against the wall. And I think what Gonzaga has is going to be perfect uh, to take care of Arkansas, and rather easily. There's the elite level of coaches, which I put, by the way, especially in the month of March, Jay Wright at the top. And then after that, you know, you're talking Mark Few, um, you know, and there's other several coaches we can mention. Even Co- I know Coach K. Everybody likes to bag on him, and it's because he's won so much. Right. But Coach K. is in that elite level, obviously. So you got all these guys who are elite level coaches, and then there's Musselman, who's a good coach, but I don't think he's elite level. Now, if he wins this game, we you know we all have egg on our face. But I agree with you in this one. I think the thing that keeps Arkansas from a legitimate shot, besides what you mentioned, at winning this basketball game and pulling the upset, is their style of play. They want to go pedal to the metal. And when you're talking about taking on a superior team like Gonzaga, if they want to go pedal to the metal also, which Gonzaga does, you you want to go up against an opponent if you're rooting for that other team that likes to junk up games, that likes to throw a lot of crap out on the floor, make you slow down, make you play, make you play a deliberate pace. Well, Arkansas is going to play in all likelihood, if, unless they change their spots all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, the exact kind of pace that Gonzaga wants. And I think that obviously hurts the Razorbacks. Also, also when, you, when you factor in that Gonzaga is number one in the nation in offensive adjusted efficiency and the Razorbacks right. are outside the top 50, throw that in with the style of play. Listen, here's the thing about Arkansas the other day. They made 11 of 35 against New Mexico State, but they outscored the Aggies 22 to 6 on 15 more attempts in a 53-48 game. How right. do you get 20, you know, 22 to 6 kind of uh, advantage at the free throw line in a game that sees 101 points scored? That's a little bit unusual. They got to get if you're Gonzaga, if you want to win and cover this game, if you want to get to that Final Four, if you want to beat Texas Tech or Duke next round and eventually, and then get to the final game and win it, Chet Holmgren's got to get involved in the offensive end, TC. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I mean, the bottom line is he's been a monster on the boards. We know about that. But really, since I'm going to say the championship game of the West Coast Conference, he's been a little off when it comes to offense. He's been a little sluggish. 
We saw that game against Georgia State. I know he had 19 points, but guess what? He had like nine with like seven minutes mm-hmm. to go, and then Georgia State gets that kid inside in foul trouble. One of them gets injured, and he's out for the rest of the game. Then Holmgren came on. He's a 14-10 and 10 guy. The other night again when they won, he was sluggish on the offensive end for most of the game. Great on the glass. It was all Timmy inside. Mm-hmm. If I'm Gonzaga, and I'm like not trying to be Mark Few here, he's obviously an elite-level coach, as I just mentioned, but the bottom line is I'm trying to get Holmgren involved offensively Right off the opening tip, I'm looking to go inside of this kid. I'm looking to set him up for his threes. Got to get him in a rhythm. Yeah. If they do, they win this game. I think going away. Yeah. But Holmgren's got to be a big part of that offense. Well, he's still he a fresh. Been. He's still a freshman, and, and I he might see be getting and, worn and, down. And I, well, worn down. I just see him being tentative against a lot of these bigger bodies uh, as well, too. And I think that's it. I mean. Again, you know, he seems to want to play outside more than he wants to yeah. play inside as well, too. Like, hey, what's new, right? We're seeing that with that's the modern day, you know, seven footer nowadays, right? right? But as far as Arkansas, it's hard for me to back any team that is 200th or worse when it comes to field goal yeah. percentage and 300 or worse in, in three point. Uh, field goal percentage sure. too, and that in Arkansas is three twenty one in that category and two hundred eleven in in uh, in uh, from the floor. Right. So for me against the Gonzaga team, no, I think this one could uh, could get away from Arkansas, yeah. and especially they have not played uh, you know two overly impressive ball games thus far. Especially that last game against New Mexico State was downright uh, ugly. Texas Tech and Duke. Uh, we know that Texas Tech is is definitely a, a nice flavor right now, but. I don't want to get your thoughts, Scott. I just felt that that Duke kind of had a a little sigh of relief. And after that game against Michigan State, which was a phenomenal basketball game, that I almost kind of feel they're playing with house money at this point in time right now. And I think they're going to be fine against a team like Texas Tech who plays that style, who wants to, you know, muck it up pretty much. But I saw Texas Tech so stagnant on the offensive end. They were fighting the shot clock a lot in this game, especially the last, you know, six to eight minutes of this game. Yeah, they went on a, what, a 10 to 1 run yeah. in that game. Otherwise, yeah. it looked like they were going to potentially lose yeah. that game to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame did a great job as far as game planning and coaching. And Notre Dame and wore down, time. too. Third, game in, third game in five days. Yeah. yeah. As far as this game is concerned, obviously, you just mentioned Duke's going to try to junk it up. They're going to try to make, you know, throw Duke out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. on the defensive end. Duke is outstanding in all metrics except one, and that's forcing turnovers. And that might be the saving grace for the Red Raiders because they turn the ball over too much. Yeah. But if you got a team that's not used to forcing turnovers, you know maybe that evens out and you're not at that disadvantage when you go up against Duke in this game. I think this, to me, and I lean towards the under in this game. It's sitting at 136.5. But TC, as far as handicapping the side, and again, it's basically a coin flip. It's mm-hmm. one. Right. Uh, it's the toughest game of the Sweet 16. I really mean that. I, I think it is. I think the under is probably the better way to go if you're going to get involved in this game. And, and I might put a couple of bucks on the under, but it's not going to be a big play this is going to be such a great contrast in the style of the two coaches and teams i can't wait to watch it again under to me is the better play i think it's the toughest cap of all the games i don't know if you put much stock into this but i'll give you a stat here duke in the ncaa tournament is zero and five on the west coast in in that pacific time zone and i don't know if like you know some people buy into that others don't but i saw what duke did to gonzaga here during the regular season and I, it still sticks with me on how Gonzaga was just outmanned. They were out, uh, out hustled, out shot. Sure. I mean, Duke, I, don't, I don't know what it was in that game, but I mean, Duke just looked bigger than Gonzaga. They played more physical, and Mark Williams and Chet Holmgren, I mean, that was a mismatch mm-hmm. with Mark Williams, the way he played. Now, you could buy into the, 
the theory if these two teams meet again, okay, well, Gonzaga's going to get their revenge. I don't know, Scott. Just the way that Duke matches up with Gonzaga, and you talked about you know, a little bit of the softness with Holmgren, that, that is not a good matchup for Gonzaga. I mean, Duke is very physical, especially with Paulo Banchero, the way he plays inside and outside. Well, that's what I was going to say. And I don't think, I think he missed a big chunk of that game, right? Didn't he, Banchero? Yeah, he in did. That, in that first game, he yeah, missed he did. a big chunk. He did. Yeah. Uh, so, and the yet middle they were still able to win yeah, the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, there was a good 10 minutes where he was like in the locker room, if right. I remember right. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the good thing is for, for, for Gonzaga, if they can get Holmgren going uh, and win the game against Arkansas, which they should before they would meet potentially Duke, is that they do have a season now of Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. And those guys, I mean, listen, I, I know those kind of athletes that are playing for national titles. I'm not talking about, you know, guys like us who play Legion ball or whatever, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about the elite level. The guys have such a different mindset. And still having said that, it wouldn't shock me that there were some serious nerves for a couple of those young Gonzaga players. Yeah. You're Gonzaga. You might be the best and most consistent program in America over the last few years under few. And I'm not talking about winning championships. I'm talking about going out there and, you know, being close to winning 30 games each and every year. You just know what you're doing. You have your identity. You go out and get it done. You recruit well. But you're still playing against Duke early on in the season, and, and it's on a national stage. It was all over the place. It's in on the Strip in Vegas, and I wonder what the thinking was of a couple of the young kids that played for Gonzaga. They're obviously going to be battle-tested now. So I, I do think they'd get by Duke in a matchup like that. But again, before I can commit to something like yeah. that, let me see what Holmgren right. does in this game against yes. Arkansas. Yep. Has to come out and play better. He does, absolutely. All right, those games on Thursday in San Francisco. Uh, the South Region, San Antonio on Thursday. Michigan against Villanova. Again, Michigan, an 11 seed, uh, rock solid, as we know. Tough schedule, battle-tested, but this Jay Wright team in, in Villanova, just phenomenal. I love this team. I've been, uh, been on this team quite a bit uh, this year, and I just think that this team, Scott, is built for March. And uh, be careful, you know, because Villanova takes care of the basketball. They're the number one uh, free-throw shooting team in the country. Uh, Villanova minus five in this game. You know what I liked about that game also? You got to see what Villanova does. They execute almost better than any yes. team in college basketball, but especially when it comes to this time of the season. So down the stretch against the Buckeyes, one team executed at an A-plus level and the other team didn't. And that team at the A-plus level won, and that was Villanova. One of those things when it comes to executing down the stretch is making your free throws. They were 17 for 20 against Ohio State. And you just mentioned, you know, they're the number one free throw shooting team at accuracy in all of college basketball, and they get to the free throw line. Jay Wright's the best coach in America, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. Agreed. That's my opinion. Jay Wright's the best, especially when it comes to the big dance. Michigan, I, I give them credit, no doubt about it. They obviously belonged in the big dance. Uh, they played the fifth or sixth toughest schedule in all of college basketball this season. You'd like to see them win at least 18 and lose 13 rather than 17 and 14 against that schedule. Then it makes it easier for the, the, the committee to put them in the dance. But with about seven and a half minutes to go in the second half, they trailed 60-54. The other day, according to Ken Palm, and I'm a big Ken Palm guy, as you know, according to Ken Palm, they had a win probability of 9.4% when they were trailing by six with seven and a half minutes to go. That's huge to overcome, you know, an anti 90% spot. Uh, They stood, you know, 90.6%, in fact, of losing that game to Tennessee. They had a 13% chance, according to Ken Palm, of beating Colorado State. When they were down by 15, obviously that was in the first half. I think it was 28 to 13, if memory serves correctly. They had a 13% chance to win that game. This team has dug themselves a couple of holes that have been extremely tough to get out. In fact, I'd love to see in March Madness how many teams had a 13% chance late first half, followed by a 9% chance with seven minutes to go in the second half and still won the games. 
So while it says that Michigan fears nobody and Michigan knows how to come back and they never give up and they stay with their game, the bottom line is, are they kind of fortunate to be here in a sense at this point? Not in the tournament, they deserved it, but at this point. Now they got to go up against the best coach in college basketball, for my money, in Villanova. And I know that line is five and it feels kind of steep, but listen, man. Villanova's two points away from a 13-game winning streak. Correct. This team has yep. played their best basketball late mm. in the year, not just in the big dance, mm. and I think it's going to be a little tough on Michigan. If they can get ahead and, and maybe lead by a few points, a couple of points mm. at halftime, 10 minutes to go in the game, they're tied or they're leading by a couple of points, right. they got a shot to win this game and uh, upset Villanova. If they're down 7, 8, 10 points, late first half, halftime, mm. Early second yeah. half, it's going to be so tough to come back on the Villanova Wildcats. I said that on Saturday in in, yeah. in their game. If Michigan, if Michigan gets off to that hot start, watch out for Michigan because sure. we they fall behind a lot early on, and they did against Colorado State, right. and they were fortunate enough to battle back. But then again, that was against a Mountain West team in Colorado State. Yeah. Not to bash on the Mountain West, but I kind of am. <laughs> oh, you've been doing that since like November, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but they're going to need to to hang around. But I just. I agree with you. I look at this line and I'm thinking, okay, I got no problem laying the five, but I would, you know, a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, maybe two and a half, three, three and a half, something. Maybe that's where it should be. But no, I think Michigan's run comes to an end here. Villanova is that good. I haven't done the angles yet. Sweet 16 teams getting to the lead eight, point spread angles, that kind of stuff at this point. That remains to be done. And so a couple of opinions might lessen or strengthen over the next Mm -hmm. couple of days when I do factor that into it. I'm not a big individual team angles guy. I like the human factor being factored into the actual games at this point. And there are certain sweet 16 angles and things like that. But without looking at those, I I just think Michigan's run is going to end here. They've done a great job of rebounding from all the controversy down the end. Of course, they've got a great assistant who coached at St. Joe's for all those years and and Martelli, who was able to keep it all together. How much do you give, you know, this will be an interesting thought. I don't, you know, know how much, you know, Chuck or the guys behind the counter at different sports books would factor into this. But, I mean, TC yourself, just off the top of your head, how much, how many points do you give Jay Wright over Jawan Howard in this game? Yeah, you, you have to give him a, at least a bucket or three. You know, you yeah, have two to. Two three points. Absolutely yeah. you do. 100% you do. There, there's no question. And, again, the depth factor as well, too. I mean, Michigan, again, Hunter Dickinson disappeared for a good portion <laughs> of this yeah. season. But now he's back. Great. He's yep. playing well. Yep. And Brooks is fantastic. After that, this team is not that deep, and if, they, and if Dickinson gets any foul trouble, then Villanova's going to win by double digits. He, that's a great point. He's been where he should have been all season long, right. Dickinson, and right. he's playing at that level now. Rounding out Thursday's action in San Antonio, 7 o'clock tip approximately, Houston and Arizona. I love this Houston Cougar team. They've had injuries, but still, when you got guys like Fabian White down low and Carlton, if Carlton could stay out of foul trouble, they're fine. But Shed is one of the best point guards. In my mm-hmm. opinion, it's, it's Colin Gillespie for Villanova and Shed for Houston. In my book, they are the two best point guards. And Houston is definitely... Uh, undervalued here at, at a number five seed. I mean, they are a strong team, and now they're going to face this Arizona team. We all love Arizona. They're, they're number one legitimately. The comeback that they had against TCU, fantastic. But this, if you thought the TCU-Arizona game was a battle and a war down low, wait till you see what Houston brings to the party here. And, you know, Houston could get a little careless, yeah. you know, with the basketball offensively. But they are a tremendous, and I underline tremendous, offensive rebounding team. They don't shoot it exceptionally well, but if they're hitting some threes, then look out, Arizona could be in trouble. Yeah, they're fantastic on the defensive end. They, yeah. they held what? Uh, they held UAB and Illinois to 11 of 44 mm-hmm. combined three-point yeah. shooting. So Arizona better have their shooting shoes on, as we used to say back in the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
the only place they struggle is at the free throw line. So if it is a close game at the end, you got to worry a little bit about the charity stripe. If you're back in Houston, they don't get there often. When they do, they only hit about 66%. Uh, they also allow too many free throw attempts at the other end. And yeah. one note about games thus far, you know, TCU was a slowish Temple opponent for U of A, and we saw what almost happened against TCU. And I bring that up because when you have – listen, there are people out there that I respect big time that have Houston ranked second power-rated second in the country. Uh, one step ahead of Arizona. I think Ken Palm's one of those. I should get – you know, he ought to send me a check all the times I mention his <laughs> no name kidding, on the air. Right? <laughs> uh, he, he does a tremendous job. The books use his numbers. I use you know, the whole uh, thing. It saves me a lot of time. But anyway, uh, the bottom line is, is that when you have a team like Arizona who plays, they want to play up-tempo big time. And they've got the athletes, the scores, the defenders, all that kind of stuff to be able to do that. A concern if you're an Arizona fan is that when you have a top five – national championship contending basketball team, a legit team that likes to slow it down big time. That team that likes to junk it up and slow it down tends to get their way over the fast-paced team when they're basically evenly matched, which this game is for the most part. So I I can't wait to see what Arizona can do. I think there's going to be in-game value in betting this basketball game because we're going to see which team controls the temple for a good stretch of the first half and kind of make adjustments off of that. Got to be quick to the draw. And I got to tell you, you know, I know guys out there who can have two or three games going at once if they're in-game betting. I'm one of those guys I need to be focused on one game. I need to pick a game out of these and say, okay, this is the one that I'm not going to watch any preseason uh, spring baseball at the time like I do sometimes (laughs) none of that you got to be focused in on it and see which team is able to control the temple in this game and then you're going to probably be able to make adjustments throughout the course of the 40 minutes yeah Houston a very tough team and even though they shoot the ball not that well from beyond the three-point arc and at the free throw line like you mentioned Scott still this team can shoot it inside the arc I mean they shoot the ball 47 percent that's 38th nationally so for a lot of teams that shoot the ball bad uh, from the perimeter they're not that that good and I mentioned that in one of the earlier games that we had talked about um, but like with Arkansas, they're, they're, they're bad all over the place. But for Houston, they get to the cup, they get to the rim. Uh, but again, if they get in any kind of foul trouble, Arizona has a little bit more depth. And again, I would think that this line would not would be a little bit more Arizona too. I was hoping to get a little bit more value because I would love to take the Cougars. So you're going to tease this, right? You're yeah. gonna, you haven't grown up yet because no. you hit a few more over the weekend. <laughs> you're still going to play those teasers. This will be what is it? What do you play? Three point five point six point. What do you play? What, the teasers? Do you <laughs> yeah. want to get into that discussion? Or not? <laughs> Again, my thing is I manipulate the line as much as I can, and it works exceptionally well for me. I even sent you a couple winners this week as well. well Six-point yeah. teaser, but I also play the 10-point teaser as well. Now, okay. I you got to go offshore for that, and again – there's a lot How of value. Dare you. I, I know, right? <laughs> but, but our good friends at William Hill will let me do that in football, so I appreciate. Well, that. I love six point yes. uh, NFL teasers. Yeah. I don't play teasers yeah. in college football or college yeah. basketball, but no. love it in the NFL. But uh, yeah, there's a time there's a- in a place. Example: I had Arizona on a teaser last night. Boom, you know, no problem. And uh, you know, Purdue, I, I didn't need that, you know. So I, I played those the other night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so whatever those those, those games are, Arkansas. Yeah. I, I had Arkansas in, in a teaser situation, and I know a lot of people lost on that game. So there's a time and place. It's not for everybody. You have to be – it's just like if you're picking regular lines, you have to be disciplined. I think Absolutely. a lot of people think this and that. So for me, the motto is simple. I want to manipulate the, the, the most of that I can and get the most advantage in advantageous situation that well, I can. You know that's me. all I'm doing. I'm anti-college basketball teaser, yeah. but I never argue with something that's working it's for work, somebody yeah. over the course yeah. of time. And I have to admit – 
that if I would have played teasers on a couple of games this weekend, I would have won those games. Rather Thank than you. Can I get the ring the bell on that one, please? Thank I, you. I, 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 I never go against my man here. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you to <laughs> get, give me a little. Just give me a little. Hey, my good friend Sean Hess, God bless him, 81, 82 yeah. years old now. Uh, has been doing nothing but betting for a living for the last 40-plus years. Yeah. And he says, whatever works for you, keep doing it till it loses yeah. and don't listen to what anybody else yeah. is saying. So exactly. There you go. And I will say this in, in, in parting. There is a reason why sports books have upped the juice over the years on teasers because – uh, they get hit pretty hard on some of these two-team teasers. I mean, going back in the day, you remember, we used to play these these seven-point football teasers. You can get it at minus 110. Then it went to minus 120. Yeah. Now they're up to minus 150 because a lot of the sharp guys were playing that oh, and, yeah. and, and hitting them hard. Two-team six-point so, NFL teasers, one of my favorite plays over yeah, the years. Yeah. But I don't do it in college basketball. Yeah. But I'll let but, you do it because you're winning. Thank you very so much. So there you go. All right. Chuck Esposito <laughs> is going to join us. We'll let uh, Chuck join us as we uh, – preview Friday's action as well too Philadelphia in the East and Chicago in the Midwest we've got uh, those four games there plus uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to hit some NFL as well too today because we've got some breaking news with that as well too but T.C. Martin Scott Sprites are in the house around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin We continue on here on this Monday recap in a wild, wild first four days. Hey, let's take a few days off. Get right back at it for Thursday and Friday. We're uh, handicapping the games on uh, Thursday. Now we'll take a look at the Friday action. Scott Spritzer in the house. Appreciate him for being here. Back-to-back shows for Scott Spritzer. Friday and uh, Monday. Love that. And Chuck Esposito now joins us. He's hanging over there at Red Rock. And I use the term hanging out very loosely because I know uh, Chuck is uh, going crazy, putting up number, numbers, taking action. He's probably getting called to the forefront. Hey, limit. Let's go. <laughs> Approval. What's going on, my friend? All good, buddy. First, it's uh, great to be on with you guys, as always. And just fun, man. It was a great weekend with uh, the college basketball tournament. So much more fun having it back to its kind of traditional format of the yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We had upsets. We had, you know, last-second finishes. Um, it was just fun. I mean, just fun to, to see a lot of familiar faces and um, just the sounds and the atmosphere in the book are kind of contagious throughout the casino. I mean, I would definitely say with a 15, two 11s, and a 10 still left in the Sweet 16 that Cinderella is alive and well, um, and we'll see how it all plays out. In the last round, Chuck, we saw dogs go 10-6. and six. We saw five outright winners in that round as well, and we've talked about it uh, earlier today that four double-digit seeds are in the Sweet 16. Uh, how was it for you guys at the book over the last four days? It's been pretty good. I mean, overall, I think the start of the days were rough. I think, you, you know, you started the tournament the very first day. You had three favorites out of the gate, and they were 4-1. and one. Um, And then you, you kind of had some upsets later in the day. I think every day, though, uh, we were chasing a bit. I mean, the overall tournament worked out really well. Uh, nice uptick in handle. Um, you know, great crowds. Uh, win was strong. I think just overall really, really good tournament. But there was, you know, many games, especially early, it seemed like every day, um, that favorites were kind of dominating the slate. Chuck Esposito joins us over at uh, Red Rock. And we know that the atmosphere is, is great in all these sports book Chucks. And we know that uh, it was wild and, and crazy. Uh, how was the end of that Duke-Fullerton uh, State game with all of the lead changes in that final minute going above the number 18.5 to below it, and then finally Fullerton State cashing a ticket? I bet there was a little bit of excitement in that room. 
Oh, it was crazy. It wasn't just the the Duke game. There was like, you know, there was two games. I think it was the Wright State game as well. Um, that just the it was just crazy to have like back to back games like that. That you had just an unbelievable atmosphere because it was hovering around the number, then below it, hovering around the number, then above it. And we had two games like that that we were clearly looking for a little puppy love, especially after the way um, the day started. And in both cases, um, we, we got it in the Wright State Arizona game. And then, of course, we got it in the Duke game as well. And uh, really, really helped um, to get those dogs to come in because, as I mentioned, it was kind of a, a day that was dominated by the favorites early on. All right, Chuck. Uh, we're gonna we talked about the Thursday games coming up here for the Sweet Sixteen, and we're gonna talk about the Friday games. I want to get your input as well, too. So, along with Scott here, so Friday uh, at the East Region in Philadelphia, first game will tip at four oh nine. Uh, St. Peter's taking on Purdue. The St. Pete's team <laughs> just a miraculous win over Kentucky. Then they get to muck it up against Murray State, and they they are in the Sweet Sixteen. Good for St. Pete's, but I cannot see this team. Uh, uh, getting uh, by Purdue here, Chuck, and Purdue with you know their path to the Final Four just got a heck of a lot easier with number one seed, number two seed in their region going bye bye. This line at uh, twelve and a half. Uh, give me some thoughts here, and I know you don't get a lot of uh, uh, early action. Well, you get some early action, but most of the action will come as we get closer to Thursday and Friday. Here, give us your thoughts as Purdue is a twelve and a half point favorite. Are there some dog takers there with St. Pete's, the Peacocks? Yeah, they're the. They're the biggest favorite on the board, guys, of the games that are left on Thursday and Friday. And I kind of coined it um, after you know the, the, their first win that hey, when, when they when they survived um, uh, to to beat a number two seed, that it wasn't St. Patrick's Day, it was St. Peter's Day as the Peacocks <laughs> moved on. I mean, what a what an upset to have a, a number fifteen seed, you know, get to the Sweet Sixteen. But that's what the tournament's all about. Um, Purdue's good. I mean, they've got guys that have, kids that have been there a few years. It hasn't been a a uh, uh, you know a favorable tournament for the Big Ten. It started off good, but really tailed off over uh, over Saturday and Sunday. Um, but Purdue's coached well. They've got one of the best players in the country. And uh, as I said, it's the biggest number on the board. You're going to have some sentimental people, you know, that want to back um, St. Pete's a little bit in this game. But you know, can they go to the well again and and play really well here um, against Purdue? Uh, Big dog, um, you know, we, we know that when a big dog like this, that David against Goliath is alive and well and playing good, the atmosphere and the crowd just shifts to kind of back that team if they're in it. But I think it's going to be a tough task to see him beat Purdue um, on Friday night. Chuck, this is Scott. I got a question for you when it came to the, the making of the line for this game. And obviously you got to adjust for perception and everything else and where, you know, sharps might be coming in on you and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to throw this out to you because about four weeks ago, St. Pete's was power rated 171st in the country. Uh, On March 1st, they were 145th. When Purdue played Yale, Yale was 146th. And I know Yale and St. Pete's play a different style as far as tempo is concerned, but Purdue was a 16-and-a-half point favorite. They took care of Yale in that game. If this game were played on March 1st, opening or not March 1st, but in the opening round, 145th, would this have been three or four points higher than it is for this particular game? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at our power rating, Scott, I mean, Purdue isn't, you know, it seems like now that they're much higher than where we had them. Um, so it's kind of hard to judge. Um, but, I, but I think it would be just based on, you know, the magnitude of the tournament changes things. And, you know, we've seen a lot of underdogs be live and play competitive games. And we've talked about it, you and I, that the gap is so much, 
you know, closer between the Blue Bloods and some of these smaller conferences and, and smaller schools where kids have been together for, um, you know, three and four years opposed to one and done. So I would say yes, although the, the power rating for Purdue for me isn't, wasn't nearly as high as, as where they're at right now being in the Sweet 16. That's just personal opinion. Matt Painter is a guy that really doesn't get a lot of love and respect. And this guy is one with a various different styles of teams. I mean, he's got bigs this year. He's got Jaden Ivey, obviously, sure. a Big Ten player of the year. He's phenomenal as well, too. But Painter, just he, he doesn't have like a prototypical type of team or guys that he recruits. He's done it in a variety of ways. This is probably his best chance to get to the Final Four. Quick thoughts on Matt Painter as a coach and what he's done with his Purdue program. I always liked Matt Painter a lot, guys. Uh, you know, I, I think that he, he takes a lot of criticism because he hasn't gotten some of his teams as deep as uh, uh, people had hoped they would go. But, you know, this is a good team, and, I mean, they are the biggest favorite here. I think UCLA is, is you know, coached really well. I think we were looking at, you know, coaches. If, it, if, it's, a, if it's a Jay Wright, if it's a Cronin, um, you know, uh, it, I think there's some of these coaches that are just so good, Izzo's, when it comes to, to tournament time that I think you have to handicap the coaches somewhat as well. Um, and, and probably he doesn't get enough credit, um, Matt Painter. But but I think you know getting this team to the Elite Eight and then maybe to the Final Four, I, I think some of that will change. But really, really good coach, and he's been there for a long time. And you can just tell that um, the players really enjoy playing for him, and, and they're clearly you know Matt Painter guys. Great coaches, Chuck. Man, they they bring they develop these identities at their schools early, and they last. And that's a guy like Matt Painter. You know what you're getting out of the Purdue Boilermakers whenever you're going to play them. The faces might be different every couple of years, but the bottom line is you know you're going to get a physical team that you're going to have to muscle up against, and if you can't, you're not going to beat them on most occasions. So, Matt Painter, you mentioned Jay Wright. Mick Cronin at UCLA, look how quickly they've become a national title contender since they brought in Mick Cronin over Alfred. Alfred doesn't develop an identity. They're kind of scattered just like they are in Reno right now. Cronin comes in. He knows exactly what he wants to do. His players buy into it. I'm all about identity when it comes to, yep. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers all those years you know, under Cower before that, Noel, even, to, you know, even right now with Tomlin. They didn't have a great season this last year or two, but they are teams that know their identity. Now, those are the teams that I'm usually betting when it comes to this late in the season, but I'm with you, man. I think Painter is one of the most unsung coaches nationally, maybe not in the Midwest, but nationally you don't hear his name a lot real quick question for you i was i was talking to tc earlier chuck how much uh, how many points do you give let's say jay wright over jawan howard if any in that particular matchup just from a head coach perspective you know i I think at this point it becomes a little bit tougher scott um you know i love the way michigan's playing i i really thought with you know with uh with howard missing uh the last five games and then not winning back-to-back games over the last 10, you know, games of the other season or conference games, that it was going to be a little bit of a struggle. But I always look for a team that kind of pulls it together at the right time, um, you know, uh, kind of has that swagger, is, is healthy and playing well. And I would say that is Michigan. Um, I think Nova's a team that could cut down the nets. 
I didn't think that about Michigan going into the tournament, but they're playing really, really well right now. And, and you can tell that, that Howard's guys have kind of circled the wagons a little bit and that they're playing really good, too. They're a confident bunch out there. I thought they were physical. They, they were quick. They ran the, the floor. I thought they were really, really good. But really, getting back to McCronin as well, I loved the UCLA game. I don't remember who the player was. Um, I apologize. But I dribbled through the, through the paint, I think, on two consecutive possessions and lost the ball. Painter, uh, uh, Mick Cook took him right out. You, he, you could tell that, you know, he was upset about it. He talked to him, and and I love that identity. And exactly what you said, Scott, that you know teams need that identity at times. It could be a more relaxed style. It can be an up tempo. Uh, it could be a defensive pressure. But but I love the fact that he addressed it with the kid right away, and uh, he's definitely changed uh, that identity that identity with the Bruins really really quickly. All right, UCLA two point favorite over North Carolina. Carolina, a lot of people surprised. Here. A number eight seed, but uh, they have survived in advance, and they played some uh, excellent basketball. Again, blew a twenty-five point lead, but were able to hang on against uh, Baylor. Scott, give me some thoughts here. Is uh, is Carolina's run come to an end here, or we've seen UCLA? You know, they're a slower pace type of team too. Uh, you know, that big contrast in what UCLA did in the opener compared to the last game. Yeah, I don't want to lay a lot of points when UCLA plays because they're a slower tempo team. They don't mind a first team to 65 wins the game. That scares me when they're laying 8, 9, 10 points, but this is only 2.5 or 2 at last check right before we started the show. UCLA finally woke up. They were sluggish against Akron. They almost got beat. They were fortunate to get by Akron. They were not playing well the first 10 minutes against St. Mary's. Over the final 30 minutes of the St. Mary's game, they outscored the Gales 59-36. to That's a good St. Mary's team no matter what anybody says. We saw the way they played against the Zags throughout the course of the year. The thing, Chuck, that scares me or TC the most about North Carolina in this game, they committed 21 turnovers in that game against Baylor. No, they're sloppy. That's awfully scary because yeah. they will be sloppy at times. And I know Jacquez is a little bit uh, banged up for this team yeah. right now for UCLA with his ankle. But, man, if they can't do better holding on to the basketball, they're in trouble. And during this 8-1 and run, and they're now power rated 20th, but during this 8-1 and run, they've had, they have just three wins over teams power rated higher than 58th. That's it. Three out of their eight wins. So, I don't know, man. This line, to me, guys, it feels a little bit short. Yeah. You getting two-way yeah. two action I think, on this you know, guy? One of those I wins mean, uh, was, of course, against Duke. Right. Um, you know, which we know. And, and I agree with you. The Jacquez injury has kind of kept it down a little bit. Um, we're on the high side kind of what's out there in, in the market. And I agree with you, Scott. I, I think this number is going to go up. And I think you're, you're going to see um, some UCLA money show. And I think the same thing with Texas Tech and Duke. I think Texas Tech, is a their, their style of play is the kind of style that gives Duke problems. But I think that just the, the average better is going to look at this game and say, how can Duke be getting points to Texas Tech? And I think that will swing in favor of, of Duke um, before that game tips as well. Again, these are just just my opinions. We have a you know a few days before these games go, but I do think UCLA goes up, and I think that 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 the Texas Tech Duke game possibly uh, flips the favorite too. All right, real quick, guys, let's talk about the games in Chicago on Friday. Providence in Kansas, Kansas a seven and a half point choice, and Iowa State and Miami, the battle of the eleven and ten seeds respectively here, and the Canes uh, two and a half point choice. Scott, quick thoughts. Yeah, real quickly, I'll just say this. Our good friend Sean Hess, 80-something years old, I mentioned him earlier. I always give him props. Uh, He has this little thing that he's been following now for 34 years. Now, I haven't gone back to see if it's exactly right, but I trust him. He says it's 24-10 and the last 34 years against the spread. It happens once a year in the Sweet 16s. 
16. And he says, I just take the team that has allowed the fewest amount of points so far in the tournament. <laughs> that would be Iowa State. They've allowed 103 points so far in the tournament. We talked about TJO the other yes. night on, on Friday on the show. And I said, man, I, I dig his style as far as identity. He knows what he wants to do. They stink on offense. They've got nothing good to talk about on offense. But what they do is clamp down and junk games up on defense, and they did it again. Uh, this is a tough game. To, this is the second toughest game for me to yeah. handicap. Uh, the other one I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But, you know, this is a tough game to handicap, Chuck. Yeah. You know, and I agree with you on, on, on Iowa State and TJ and, and the way that they clamp down. But, I mean, you, you were really blunt. I was going to try to be more politically correct and not say they stink on offense, but they do. Yes. And, you know, I mean, they're just so out of sorts. And, you know, the, the, there's not a lot of movement and they don't get into the paint and they, they take bad shots. And the one thing about this Miami team is that, you know, you look at this team and this is more of a men against boys team in, in many games in the tournament. They've got several kids that are, you know, 22, I think in the 22 to 23 range, older kids that are on this team that have been together. And I think against a team like Iowa State and that press and the way that they clamp down, that they'll be able to handle it more than what we saw last night with a younger team that had all 18-year-olds. That's just how the way I look at this game. But, but I think that's going to factor in that this Miami team is more of a veteran team we know that they're coached well also um but I, I just think they have such an advantage because iowa state is so bad offensively <laughs> didn't want to use that word stink but i know we've used it a couple of times and, and chuck you hit the nail on the head miami's just more physical the man against the boys references is, is apropos and i started to laugh when you started to say that scott because earlier today i had a loyal listener uh, say he goes, hey, there's this one trend that I uh, that I wrote down and took notes about the lowest scoring team. This that he goes, I'm pretty sure it, it was Scott or some other guy because I have my notes here. You know, TC's crew said this. There it is. Sooner Sean Hess. There it is. It's Sean, it Sean Hess thing Give and you, you, you brought it up today and that just got brought up to me earlier today yeah a team so that allows go. the fewest amount of points you said it before the show that's and, great and he's been playing that forever and he's been telling me about it forever chuck appreciate the time as always uh, my friend we'll let you get back to it uh, continue to enjoy this week hopefully we'll get a chance to 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 talk to you some more and definitely next week uh, as well too as we get through the sweet 16 the elite eight and get ready for the final four next week in new orleans all right, boys. Always enjoy jumping on with you. Thanks. Enjoy the games, and uh, we'll chat soon. We'll see if that trend goes to 25-10 and 10 or 24-11. Mark it down. But there you go. Put the circle around it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, as always. All right, buddy. Thank you. There he is, Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. He's the best, isn't he? He's the best. Chuck, yeah. And, you know, we both, we've both known Chuck a, a long, long time, and we've both done stuff with him, and it's uh, great to uh, get him uh, on the show. All right. Uh, quick, Providence, Kansas at all? Yeah, you know what? Kansas wants to go fast. PC wants to play that deliberate tempo. I've already talked about when you got a good team that wants to throw the wrench in the system. A lot of times it happens. Here's a real quick note. Creighton made 29% of their two-pointers. They were 9 of 31. Yet with a minute to go, they had the ball with a chance to take the lead against Kansas. Kansas better come with it against Ed Cooley's team, the way they play basketball on the defensive end. Everybody thinks the Friars are lucky this season. That's all I ever hear every week. I know. This is a well-coached basketball team. They are fortunate. They create their good luck. I'm going to just say that. Cooley, he'll, he'll fire him up too. All right, NFL Cleveland acquires Deshaun Watson. Houston gets three first round picks. They're going to get a, uh, a first rounder here this year, next year in, in 2024. Also getting a third round pick uh, in 2023 and a fourth rounder in 2024. Five years, 
$230 million guaranteed. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? You know who else is going to be Deshaun Watson, are you kidding me? Buy stock in massage companies in Cleveland, baby. There you go, exactly. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, I should be gone more, there, but I did. More of this on Terrible <laughs> Tuesday tomorrow as well, too. <laughs> I mean, what is the future of Deshaun Watson? You know, on the field and off the field. You know, this guy gets this type of contract, fully guaranteed, despite twenty-two open civil lawsuits. The yeah. criminal ones got thrown out, but there's still twenty-two lawsuits. Civil this lawsuits. isn't one woman. This isn't two. This is twenty-two. Yeah, if there were three, maybe yeah. I say okay, they're ganging up on him. But more cool. breaking news: Atlanta trades Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. Atlanta gets a third-round draft pick. Fifteen years in Atlanta, Matty Ice. The best quarterback in franchise history. And uh, Ryan's going to the Colts. Oh, by the way, Frank Wright's fifth quarterback in the five years he's been there. That's not good. Where's Baker? What's, what's going to end with Baker? That's you got a Sooner shirt on today. What's going to end with Baker? Yeah, I don't. I'm not a Baker fan. You know, <laughs> come on, stop. Uh, I don't know. And we were talking about this last week. Could he be relegated to a backup role somewhere at this point in time right now? Carolina's about the only spot. Right? Yeah. Carolina's the only spot. And then we get new city. Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota, leaves the Raiders today, right? And uh, his new home is... I hadn't even heard that yet. Oh, yeah? I've been doing so much basketball. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah. Is in Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. So he's taking over. Bring Baker out he, here. He, we could use him as a backup. Yeah. A backup. Yeah. I want to, you know, make yeah. sure I say a backup. No, you don't want that in your <laughs> locker room. You know. He might make good commercials, but that's about it. There it is. <laughs> All right, Scott, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. Always great, my man. Always a blast. Always flies it. by, doesn't it? It does. Is it? It's All right, time. good stuff. All right, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more before the games on Thursday and Friday. We uh, look forward to that, my friend. All right, next time you go back to Omaha, bring me a Creighton Blue Jays uh, shirt, would you? Might be this summer, and I will bring you back. Creighton yeah, Blue. yeah. No doubt about what, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That baby blue, I gotta love. See, that I was blue. A, I was an anti Nebraska in basketball. I was Creighton Creighton blue through and through, man. As you should be, absolutely. Better program, no doubt. <laughs> All right, appreciate Scott Spicer. Get Scott's uh, selections over at DocSports.com. Go to that website, DocSports.com. Subscribe there, and he's a great follow on Twitter too. At Scott wins. Appreciate Chuck Esposito joining us today, and Matthew Holt from US Integrity. Uh, all part of our great crew here. We're back at it again tomorrow. You know who's going to join us tomorrow, Scott? You'll appreciate this, so make sure you're listening. Thurl Bailey joining oh, us tomorrow. I'll be tuning in, no doubt about it. That game against UNLV back in the day. There, yep. you, there you go. Thurl Bailey will join us tomorrow. Pete Gillen is going to join us on Wednesday. And uh, the list uh, continues to grow throughout the week as we get ready for the Sweet 16. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website. It's all up there. Check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. We reconvene tomorrow at 2.